Boss interview today. I am so excited to speak to Nicole Bertram, who is in BC. Her studio called The Spool Sewing Studio is in Canada, and she's going to tell us exactly where it is and tell us a little bit more about it. Hi. Um, so I'm Nicole, and I run The Spool Sewing Studio in Courtney, BC. Um, it's on northern Vancouver Island. So you probably know where Vancouver is. There's an island, there's Victoria, I'm north of that. Uh, it's a, a smaller size city that sort of nestled beside a town and a village. They're kind of, it's all, it all comprises the Comox Valley. Um, and it's a really cool area with, uh, I've, I've read it has the highest per capita of self-employment in, in Canada. Really? Uh, okay. So, yeah, it's, it's just like a lot of people who are running small businesses who are all supporting each other, and uh, which means there's a lot of really interesting businesses. And yeah, so it was a, yeah, we've been here for three, just over three years, and I've been running my business for two. Okay. Yeah. Um, where did you live before you lived there? Uh, almost everywhere in Canada. So we moved directly from Toronto. Before that, we were in Montreal. We were in Halifax, Kelowna, Victoria. We've been all over just yeah. for school and work. And like, it's a big country. Just wanted to see lots of it before we sort of settled down. And Great. You know, okay. Well, yeah. I grew up um, on the border of New York and Canada. So we would take school trips to Montreal all the time. So. Oh, nice. Yeah. And, um, and in high school, we would, you know, kind of go over and I think we could drink legally at age 18. So that was always fun. We would yeah. cross the border and go yeah. party. Yeah, so. <laughs> yeah they're, they're known for that there in Montreal, for sure. Yeah, yeah. so it's, it's pretty cool. It's, it's lovely here because it's, uh, we're on the ocean, so I can walk to the end of my street and see the ocean, see the marina, and right behind it is mountains. And so there's also skiing, and it's fairly temperate, so in the winter people can go ski and then like come down and play golf. Um, I mean, often it's too wet to really play golf, but theoretically, with the weather, if one were interested in playing golf, one could do that. Um, so it's, it's really great. It's like, uh, I mean, I know you, you follow me on Instagram, so you see it's like a lot of woods and just like playing in the woods and going on the water and gardening. It's really lovely. Yeah. Is that kind of why you decided to move there? So you kind of have the both, the best of both, like a little bit of city, but then also yeah. the... Yeah, yeah, like we really, uh, I mean, I'm definitely fed by being outside. If I go like a week or two without going in the woods, which is weird because the woods are like a couple blocks away, but if it just kind of, every time I go into the woods, I'm like, oh, why am I not doing this every day? Like it's, I, it's, it's like that, uh, that Japanese idea of the like forest bath. It's just like, oh, nothing matters, you're in the woods. <laughs> yep, totally. Oh, yeah. I need more of that in my life. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit um, about your business. You said yeah. you've been, um, you've had the studio for two years now. What, um, what made you decide to start the sewing studio? Um, so I started teaching probably about four or five years ago, just out of my living room. Like my sewing space was just like a three by eight space in my living room. Um, and I'm, I'm all self-taught. So I just started by teaching friends in my living room. Um, and I found I really, really loved it. And I think it's in part because I'm an extrovert. 
but I love sewing, which is like this super introverted activity. Right. Um, and so it's kind of a way that I just like extroverted sewing basically. Um, and so when I moved out here, I got like a, you know, pretty decent job, like part-time job. Uh, but, and I was teaching like one day a week. Um, and at a certain point I just realized like having a small child who's about to go to school and running a business like one day a week and having this, this job that sort of always took place in late afternoon evenings um, meant that I could never teach more. Like I would never be able to expand. Um, so I got a grant to, from uh, like a small business granting agency that like helps people who've been on EI previously, um, employment insurance previously to start their own businesses. Uh Um, And the timing was crazy because it was like, it has to be within five years of your mat leave and, or three years of regular EI. And so I'd been on maternity leave and I went to apply for this and they said, you have to apply in the next two weeks. Like we have to have your application in the next two weeks or else you will never be eligible for this program. So the timing all worked out really well. And, um, and yeah, so now I, I've got a, I started out in my house. So I converted part of my house into a studio. Um, it didn't really work great for me to have, you know, people coming in the evenings. It wasn't separate enough with a yeah. small child. And I was doing pop-ups around town. And then about a year ago, I got my downtown space, which is upstairs and it's two little rooms. And, and that's where I've been. And it's above years. a sewing, st- uh, like an alteration studio. Yeah, okay. which is amazing. Yeah. Because I'm sure you get this as a teacher. Like, well, will you, can you just like hem my pants? Right. Um, and I can just be like, nope, just go downstairs. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny because I actually, I was looking at your website earlier and I was noticing just some things that you, well, you have a great um, frequently asked questions section. I love that because it's, you know, it's all the same things that people ask me. And that was one of the things, um, you know, and it's so hard because people just are like, yeah, I need this. I need help with this project. Can you do it? Can you do it? And for the longest time I said, yes, I can do that. And then I would just find myself working on this thing for this other person when all I wanted to do was teach them. And you, you even, you said it perfectly. You're like, I'm happy to teach you how to hem your pants. But, um, that's something that you, you know, you, you had such great boundaries. You're like, I will not do that. And I guess it does make it easier because you have someone downstairs who will do it. I think it's harder when you can't, when you have to say no, I have a hard time saying no. This is why this is all very fascinating to me. I've, I've also, I think, I think typically women have a hard time saying no, right? Like we want to do that helping. Um, and so I definitely learned because in the first year I would take any kind of work, like people hired me to do some piece work and some of this and some of that. Um, and I just, I realized like, I'm never going to get the thing I want off the ground if I'm splitting my attention. So I think it was about a year and a half ago when I was like just getting into the new space where I was just like, no, this is my business. This is what I do. Anything else I'm not doing. And, you know, people can be really funny. And I think this happens in any creative field where they'll be like, well, can you do this? But I don't want to like pay a reasonable fee for it. And uh, I'm not going to appreciate that you've done it. And I'm going to think it's really easy (laughs) like that. Someone, someone came up the other day and said, you know, Oh, can you fix these pants? And I said, no, that's not my business. And she was like, oh, what, can you? And I was like, no, because that's not my job. Um, <laughs> and she said, she said, well, it's really easy. I would do it, but I don't have a machine. And I was like, cool, I have machines for rent, 10 bucks, you can do it right now. Yeah. And she goes, well, if it's $10 an hour, like, can I pay five if it's for half an hour? And I was like, 
how willing are you to actually pay someone to fix your pants if you're like haggling on renting a machine? Like there's just, it's just silly stuff. And so now I just tell people, um, I want to have longevity as a sewing teacher and I'm not going to do that if I burn out fixing your dirty old pants. I want to, I want to keep my passion alive for what I'm doing so that I can continue serving the community. Um, and I'm not going to be able to serve the community if I'm just drowning in people's alterations. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. I, think about- I feel like every sewing teacher that watches this is going to be like, yes. Yeah. No, it's so true. You know, and there's a lot of sewing teachers who gladly take that on. And I, I always just kind of go, wow, you know, good for you. But, but at the same time, you know, it's really difficult to just, I can't do it anymore because, mm-hmm. and, and it's so funny. You learn that so quickly. Like I, it really took me a long time. And then, and it's funny, the whole saying no, you know, having it be sort of just like uh, the end of the sentence is very hard too. So if I can't recommend. No, comma, me, well, maybe. I know somebody who can do it or try this person, or maybe you could do this. It's like, no, now it's just like, no, I don't do that. Um, yeah. So yeah, I love hearing other people saying it as well. It gives me a little more confidence to do it. Yeah. Um, okay, cool. The other thing that I saw on your website, oh, I loved, um, it's funny because like when you teach kids, you can't be super technical with your sewing. I, <laughs> I you know, and you'd, you'd mentioned, I think right in one of the, the first pages, you know, we're, we're different than 4-H, we're different than home ec. And I always tell people I'm different than if Martha Stewart were teaching you how to sew, you know, like when you're first starting out, I'm not going to make you iron your seams open. I'm not going to make you seam rip the thing that isn't quite, you know, I mean, obviously if it's not right, you're going to, you know, have somebody fix it. But at the same time, that's no fun for anybody. You know, Mm -hmm. it's like, we're teaching, I don't know, I'm teaching people, how to have fun with sewing. And this is like kind of building a hobby. They're not necessarily, you know, wanting to open up their own tailoring business. So mm-hmm. another thing I, I saw. So tell us, a, can you tell me a little bit more about why you made that an important um, part on your website? Yeah, yeah, I, I think it is really important. I mean, with, um, with adults too, I tend to be really easy, although the mistakes are not as dramatic with kids when they do a mistake if they show me and they're like this seam is like really uneven I'll be like hmm like are you are you happy with it and if they're like no then I'm like then you know let's seam rip it um and if they're like eh, whatever then I'm like okay um but I think people would sort of bring ideas of what they thought maybe their kids would make sometimes not mostly not but it does happen you know like when you put your kid in piano you probably want them to come out like playing a song within a few months or whatever fair enough um but often the projects that kids make are like, to be frank, like they're sloppy and they like, they don't look like Pinterest. And, but they love them. But they had <laughs> so much fun. So I, like it's, it was really important to me to like communicate to parents, like don't expect it to look like the Pinterest thing. It's going to be the thing that your seven-year-old made. Like it's going to look like a seven-year-old made it. They're not going to cut perfectly straight. And, you know, yeah, I could cut things for them and then like, pin things for them and then just like sit them at the machine and they sew, but they're not getting the fine motor skills. Then they're not going to become better cutters by not cutting. Um, So it's really good lessons for them to learn that like, it's not as easy as it looks. And it's really good for parents to not expect 
it to be perfect. I talked to a pottery teacher who said that, you know, she had someone who's, who dropped their kid off and was like, all right, you're going to have a mug by the end of the month. Right. And it's like, uh, super hard. You're just going to have like a bunch of lumps basically. Um, and there, there used to be a studio here, like an art studio where teachers would actually like, it was in built into the policy of the studio that teachers would like fix if it didn't look right. So a kid could be painting and the teacher would come and like redo the nose. And that takes like all the pride and ownership. I know takes all the pride and ownership away from that kid. So I'll help them when they need a bit of help. I'll give them little tricks and tips, but mostly it's just like, if your thing looks crazy, that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and that's sometimes what they like. They look a little crazy. Yeah, I mean, <clears throat> and I think it's also important to see, like, because I have kids who just keep coming and keep coming, and that's the beauty of it. Because, mm-hmm. you know, their first project versus the last project of the school year, you know, on their third year of sewing, like, they want to be able to see that difference and, and, and grow within their sewing. So, yeah, and I think for the most part, parents... Yeah, most are pretty into it. Most of them, like, it's like they know their kids are there for, like, a creative experience and um, and they're not going to come out with something perfect. It happens sometimes, but I, I just feel like if I can be explicit about, like, all the things they're going to get out of it other than a perfect project, um, then it just reduces. Then someone who's, like, a perfectionist, who who's, like, a perfectionist of their kids, they're less likely to register their kids with me because I'll be like, this is probably not the right fit unless yeah. you have fun. Yeah. Totally. Yeah. Um, what do you do for adults? I, I find that, you know, I tend to have the same attitude when I'm teaching adults and, but yet it's a little bit different, but at the same time, it's not. I mean, do you, you know, you do have some adults. I think I at least have adults that walk in and they're very like, they're very adept, even though they've never sewn, maybe they're really good with their hands and they want to learn that way. Do you adjust your teaching style to accommodate people like that? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I get, um, so I'll usually have like six new adults a month. Um, and then they sort of, some of them will come right back for like three more classes and some of them will come back a few months later. Um, and there will usually be like, kind of a cross section where there's like a few people who are just like super terrified and timid. Um, and then you get to see them be like, I made a thing. And I love that. Yeah. Um, and I'll see people who like, you know, they'll be like, I care 60%. Like they're interested in learning, but they're not going to stress out. And then I'll see people who are like, um, this is an eighth of an inch office that can be okay. And I'm like, well, it's a pillowcase. So like, are you framing it or like putting a big fluffy pillow in? Like it's okay. Um, so I try to, I try to like, teach the best way, but with like absolute freedom to just be like as careful about it as you want. And it's, it's, I also try to teach people to know what kind of sewer they are. Like I have a woman who I just posted her, so you probably saw her, but she has been sewing for six weeks and she's made three shirts and a skirt. She's making a cardigan. Oh, I did like, see that. Yeah, yeah. Foundations. Like she's just like gone whole hog into it. I love that. It is amazing. Um, So she is like obviously super committed to learning to sew and to making her own wardrobe, but she also knows of herself that she doesn't want to like be super perfection over her like pinning or her ironing. Like she finds that stuff tedious. So she's not going to make really complex garments Mm -hmm. because she just doesn't want to. She wants really simple garments and she wants the process and she wants that quick satisfaction of making things. And so she's like, I'm not a perfectionist. It's fine. Like if the hem's a little off, it's okay. Um, But at the same time, I see herself pushing and like, you know, taking things out when they're not great, but she's going easy on herself. And I really like that. 
but usually like, especially in my foundations class, the beginners, I'm usually like, the stakes are really low. Like think about the state of the world. Do you think it really matters if your pillowcase isn't perfect? And they're like, yeah, good point. I'm oh like, my gosh. <laughs> you bring it down to the state of the world. <laughs> I love it. Oh, yeah. It's like, I'll try that now. Oceans are rising. Like, come on. It's fine. It's a pillowcase. <laughs> yeah. Oh, that's great. Do you, um, what kind of a sewer are you? Are you the type of sewer that kind of has that same attitude? Cause I definitely am. Yeah, I I like to have a mix because I do like to have sort of really technical projects. Like um, I'm making a button-up shirt, the Fairfield button-up by Thread Theory. Um, and so, you know, that's collar stands and collars and cuffs and plackets and lots of fussy little things. Um, so I like working on those like technical things that sort of push me and uh, make me think and I have to be careful. Um, but at the same time, like I don't really get into like tailoring the shirt to be a perfect fit for my husband because I'm like, no, he's fine. It's straight medium. It's fun. Um, and then if I find myself getting frustrated when I'm doing a fussy little bit, then I'll just like whip out a t-shirt or something. So yeah. um, because I tend to dress in really basic clothes, that's what I make. Yeah. Um, but I have like when I was really um, pushing myself in my sewing like five or six years ago when I was really like diving in and started challenging myself, I was making these much fussier things like dresses or like vintage style things. And, um, and I liked the process, but then it just felt like a waste cause I was never going to wear them. Yeah. Um, so yeah, now it's, it's just like a, a lot of basics, <laughs> a lot of grain line patterns. I'm okay. draped in grain line most of the time. Yeah. All right. Well, that's great. This year you are finding a, a lot of time for sewing. I'm impressed by mm-hmm. that. Yeah, that's good. Yeah. I need to find more time to just sew. Um, so I guess as far as like your business goes, are you the person that's doing most of the teaching or do you have some instructors that help you? All me. It's totally a one woman show. It's exhausting. Yeah, I bet. And especially if you have a family and yeah, that's a lot. Okay. It's totally a lot. I, I like just hired a bookkeeper for the first time in oh, two years okay. because I was like, at least then I know like, that's going to be taken care of because that's like my least favorite thing. But like I built the website, I do all the marketing, I make all the posters, I do all the Facebook events, I do all the teaching, I do all the samples. Like it's, it's all me. Um, and last year I got close to burning out last year. I was doing a lot of 12 hour days, um, which was like not, there's no good reason for it. It's not like I was like making money for 12 hours. I was just working for 12 hours. Um, but I would, if I was teaching three classes, I was teaching at a, a studio in Comox for an after school class. So I would like bike downtown, which is like 20 minutes. I was going to say five kilometers, but you're in the States. So then I'd have to turn it to miles. <laughs> anyway, I okay in, in my head. Okay. Um, yeah. it's not that bad. Um, and then I teach there and then I come across again and it's like uphill the whole way here, teach another class, bike home, grab some food, like eat like a frozen burrito, like a 19 year old boy or something. And then like drive downtown and teach another class. Um, so that was ridiculous and there is no good reason for it. So this year I am only teaching in my space and I'm only teaching three after school classes a week. And so that means a lot of people have been like turned away and like, that's fine. We'll talk about it next semester. But that means I have two days a week that I can, can pick my daughter up from school uh-huh. and like chill out with her in the afternoon. Yeah. Um, and then I teach between one and three evenings a week and then one or two like daytime classes a week, depending on how they fill up. And then I also, so like I have almost all my mornings free. 
um, which has been really good for my dog and it's been really good for my body. So I started taking three exercise classes a week in the mornings and making time for like coffee and books. And like, yeah, it, this year was like, I actually sat down and looked at my schedule and I was like, what's going to be the best for our whole family? Like mm-hmm. I take alternate weekends off, just close the shop. And, you know, I might be losing the sale of a couple meters or like, you know, um, an hour drop in student or something, but that's not worth it if I'm burnt out by Christmas. So yeah, much better balance this year. Good for you. It's, it's too bad that you had to get to that point of almost burning out. But I think as an entrepreneur, that's a pretty common, I mean, that's yeah. what we do. We see how far we can push it. And then, yeah. And, and, you know, you look at, you look at what other people are doing online and you're like, Oh, well, they're like, you know, we have this sort of weird, um, sort of have a weird obsession with like busyness and like people are sort of proud of like, I'm super busy. Like I'm so busy. Uh, So I took most of the summer off. I taught like two kids camps and four adult camps. Um, So like I teach for a little bit each week, but most of the summer I was just off with my daughter. And, and that was a really great way to sort of shift my perspective of how, like how I don't need to sort of, subscribe to the like the cult of hustle like you always have to be hustling and pushing and pushing and I was just like you know I'm not saving lives I'm teaching sewing I'm gonna and I posted something on my Facebook at the beginning of the summer just saying like I'm only gonna check my email when I'm at work so you might have to wait five days to hear back from me and that's that's it I'm gonna be with my kid I'm gonna be in the garden um you know if something's absolutely an emergency you can call me but it's sewing so it probably won't be um everything's on my website everything's set up leave me alone essentially. And that was like one of my most shared and most popular posts I've ever put up. And people were like, thanks for being a model of like good self care and balance because, because this is a community of primarily entrepreneurs. It's really easy to sort of get swept up into like entrepreneur speak and hustling and constant networking. And it was really great to just, kind of dial it back all summer and then start again with like an established routine that's healthy for everyone and like so much better for my family. Yeah. Yeah. Is there a reason that you don't hire somebody else to maybe cover some of the time that you're not there? Um, no, I, you know, I was actually planning on hiring someone for this fall to teach some of the kids classes. Um, and then the woman I was going to work with she uh ended up taking a full-time teaching job at the school and so that just didn't work out so like I'm definitely open to that especially for the like after school kids classes because I think we could fill up five days but it also seems like I get a lot of demand and then like relatively like comparatively low registration because maybe this is everywhere maybe it's just here and I just noticed it because my daughter entered school when we moved here but like kids have like a thousand activities Mm -hmm. they'll be like oh I want a class for a 10 year old and I'll be like cool I have a class for a 10 year old on Tuesday it still has space and they'll be like oh well she has dance on Monday Tuesday Wednesday Friday so do you have anything Thursday and I'm like no I don't like later yeah oh yeah yeah so I could teach like half empty classes every single day um but I'm not willing to do that so um so definitely it's in the in the future it'll come up I'm hoping to have someone yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> um, 
Okay. So as far as like getting your classes filled, what, what do you find is the thing that works the best uh, marketing wise, promotion wise? Um, Facebook is definitely the biggest, the biggest one. And then word of mouth. Mm -hmm. Um, I do like maybe two, three markets a year. So I don't go around to like all the craft fairs because that would drive me crazy. Sorry, my dog's barking. This is going to get real loud. Um, so I don't do a lot. This is Callie. Hi. Um, I don't do a lot of markets, uh, cause it is a small community. So like once people have seen me three times in a year, anything more is just saturation. Um, but I did like a big street fair one this year that was right downtown. And there's like one Christmas one that sort of, uh, is sort of trying to hit the like market of people in their thirties with money kind of market, uh, like a, the hip market, if you will. Um, and then there's a lot sort of more old fashioned craft fairs as well. So I do like three a year and that really gets the word out. And, um, like there's one coming up next month that I did last year and I have people registered in September who heard about me at that market back in November. And it's just like a matter of when their schedule aligns. So sometimes they start like the month after they see me and sometimes it takes nine or 10 months Mm -hmm. because people's schedules are tough. So um, yeah. And then other than that, it's word of mouth. I'm in such a t- little tucked up space that a lot of people are like, I walk by here every day and I never see you. And I'm like, yeah, that works for me. Cause I'm not always here. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah. You know, I have a, I have a sign on the window and a little mm-hmm. sign at the door downstairs, but the door is recessed. And so unless I have my sandwich board out, which I don't put out all that often, um, I'm sort of tucked away. Yeah. Sounds like you've got kind of what you're, you're basically as busy as you want to be. It sounds like for you. I could be a little busier. Like definitely, definitely like I I intentionally pack my schedule with more classes than I think will fill um, because I never know what class at what time is going to run. So I like put up a whole bunch and then a month before anything that's not going to run, I just make it disappear. So it's just like, I don't say like, I'm canceling it. I'm just like, it disappears. No one knows. Um, It's funny you say that. I literally did that this morning for a class starting on Monday I'm like there's just not enough right now and so it's just oh it faded away from this and then if people are like didn't you have it no no you must have been (laughs) mistaken all my classes are full (laughs) yeah no I mean like I also had a class where one it's like I'd rather have no one register than have like one person register that's the worst yes because my policy is three people um a minimum of three people, but I do actually end up running classes with two because that's where it's at, especially yeah. with daytime classes. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I had one where it was a woman who has taken classes with me before and bought fabric and stuff. And so, and she said, she sent me an email saying, do you have more of that bamboo stretch? Like I want to buy, make some more leggings. And, and I was like, yeah, actually I have to cancel that class you're in. So why don't I just apply it as a credit to some fabric? And oh, like, Great. So then she came and picked up the fabric and then registered for another class right away that she knew was going to work. So um, people are like pretty happy to support me and, and that's really nice. So I don't feel too embarrassed when I'm like, I have to cancel. Um, I think it's something that it, it just happens, you know? And I, you know what I always do too is if I can't do something like that, I'll add, like I'll give them the credit and then add to it. So yeah. a little bit more the next time they register and then usually people are fine with not you know, asking for the refund, which, you know, I'll give them, obviously I'm not running the class, but Mm -hmm. kind of get them into a different class. That's always better. Right. 
Yeah. Yeah, it's funny because I have to remind myself and then my husband has to remind me too when I'm like, I just had to cancel five classes. He's like, you intentionally put like way more classes than you actually wanted. Like if you were teaching that many, it'd be too much. So I definitely wouldn't mind like a little more registration. I do feel like that's where I sort of stress out and feel like I need to hustle is like getting the word out there. And um, I made the mistake of putting all my events for like September to December on Facebook at once. Mm. So that people were like, dude, you just flooded my feed with events. And I was like, oh, because, you know, they were following me. And so they saw like 30 events all in one day. They were like, that's all I saw. And I was just like, oh, man. So now I'm trying to like um, put them up, like sort of space it out a little bit more. Um, and like right now I'm going through and just like switching out like ones that I'm like, you know what, that November class, I can tell it's not going to run. I'll delete that and put up a couple little one day classes that are like just short little, like a tote bag class or whatever. Um, and so I'm putting those up now and yeah. So you find me, it's, it's you're the second person that I've talked to. I never put Facebook events for my classes. Mm-hmm. I always just kind of like felt like it wasn't helpful. But then someone else the other day said it, that that's one of the best ways that they promote their classes. So maybe, I don't know, maybe Facebook events has changed, but I just feel like no one would see it. And, and yeah, people have to. People have to be looking for it for sure. Like it doesn't, but one of the things I like about it is like you saw on my site that um, the adult classes are separated by type of class and then you have to go into it to see the date. So there's like certain functionality I'd love to get out of the site that I'm not getting yet. Like I'd love to have a calendar feature where it's really clear, but that's like getting a calendar on a website or on Facebook is literally the most difficult thing uh, that I can do, which, you know, that's, I guess shows how easy my life is right now, but um, it's like, this is the worst thing in my yeah. life. Um, so it's a way that people can be like, okay, let's see what Nicole has happening in October. And they can just look at October and then click right into the link and, and buy the ticket. Um, but I mean, I also, people don't read the website. You're probably only the second person to have read the frequently asked questions, which wow. I just posted a couple weeks ago because I got a message through the website, not even just through my email through the website that said, do you teach sewing lessons? (laughs) And I was like, well, yeah, like you had to pass by that information on your way to contact us. Like that was the laziest thing. So, you know, I having like any way that I can make it easier is good. Um, And there was one class last month that was like a one day baby leggings class. Um, and I had one person registered in it on the Sunday before, and it was on a Saturday and I was like, Oh man, I'm going to have to cancel this class. And then I looked and realized it didn't have a Facebook event. So I created a Facebook event and then I took a nice picture and put it on Instagram and on Facebook and it sold out in two days. Wow. Well, this, and I had like six other people who were like, Oh, I wish I could come, but it's this Saturday. Like, will you please run it again? And so it was just like, Oh, people just don't know what I'm doing. Cause I gave them so much information at once that they were like, Oh, look at that later. They never did. So now I just try to like mention specific events like a couple weeks before so they can start filling up and then pulling them away and quietly making them disappear if they don't happen. So yeah. No, that's good. Oh my God. Don't you love that? I I don't do the events, but like with an email, I'll send an email and just like as a last stitch effort. And it just feels so satisfying that you'll send the email and get like three signups and you're like, yeah, that worked. (laughs) Yeah. I just need to tell people because they usually just need reminders. Like sewing is an extra thing in their lives. They just want that reminder. 
Um, as far as like, you said that you obviously sell fabric in your studio. Mm-hmm. Um, do you, how much inventory do you have or do you make that a priority or is it just a convenience for people? It's, no, it's becoming more, it's not convenient. It's not convenient fabric. Like I don't carry any of the quilting cottons and stuff that they need for their foundations projects. Oh, okay. Um, Cause it's just like quilting cotton is like, it's so much space. Like I would want to bring in like the really cute decorator stuff or like um, uh, designer stuff that you see everywhere it would be so expensive and take up so much space. My, my studio is only like uh, 10 feet by 15 feet. It's like 150 square feet, 200 square feet. Oh my gosh. It's really little. Yeah. yeah. Um, and all the, we, we designed and built all the furniture ourselves so that it doesn't feel tiny. Yeah. Yeah. We have like narrow counters against the wall for the sewing machines and an eight foot by four foot table for cutting. Um, and another table that's like an ironing table that's like six feet by two feet. Um, so I don't have a lot of space for fabric. So what I, uh, what I bring in is the stuff that you can't get because we only have like one big fabric store here. Uh-huh. And they've got so much quilting cotton, but their garment fabric isn't great. Uh-huh. So usually it's like cheaper quality. They don't have like, like most of their linens are actually like linen look cotton or like linen blends. Um, so it's just like, that's not their priority. Um, so they have like a lot of cheap garment fabric and then a lot of quilting cotton. So I send people there for quilting cotton and I bring in um, like bamboo terry cloth for t-shirts and leggings and linens, uh, hemp and cotton, organic cotton. So those things that you can't get elsewhere that sort of the higher price point, which is, you know, scary, but people are really excited that they can get it locally now. Um, instead of just having to buy it online and uh, yeah, like after they've taken foundations when they're starting to make clothes and it's also opened the door to not just absolute beginners coming in. I now have people who are extremely skilled sewists coming up and spending money because they're like, Oh great. I can get like European linen here. This is amazing. Um, So yeah, I think I probably only carry like less than $1,500 worth of fabric stock like my wholesale stock um, because I don't want to go into debt if I can avoid it. Um, so I just try to like buy what's reasonable and sell and yeah, just kind of keep it balanced. And then I carry like indie patterns is a really fun thing to carry. So I'm carrying like cashmere and grain line and sewaholic and thread theory, Oliver and S probably some that I'm forgetting. Um, so the indie patterns and the fabric and then like some of my favorite tools, it's just like one little pegboard of like, here's my very favorite stuff that you can buy. It's good. I'm, I'm really glad to have like opened up that second part of the business. Um, and there's days like the baby leggings class, I build a meter of fabric into the cost of the class. So I like guarantee myself six meters sales. Um, which is, was really helpful when I was getting ready to buy my fall fabric. Cause I had just like sold a bunch of fabric through that class and then like made another order. Um, but yeah, people come back for more because sometimes they'll take the t-shirt class with cheaper fabric from Fabricland, and then they'll bring it and they'll realize it's really hard to work with and it's not flattering and it's too clingy and it gets pilly. And they're like, okay, you were right. I should have just spent like $26 on your fabric because spending 18 wasn't that much cheaper and this stuff is garbage. So yeah. But it takes a, you know, it takes doing it first to really fully understand um, why fabric, good fabric is expensive. Right. 
Yeah, it's so much easier to work with. <laughs> yeah, I get people to come in for fabric consultations. So if they register online, I say, I recommend you come in for a fabric consultation before you buy fabric because otherwise people will come in, even if they're not buying it from me. I can, I'll be like, yeah, you can go there, you can buy cheaper, but this is what you're looking for and here's what you don't want to get. And uh, that way I don't have people showing up to a t-shirt class with like a quilting cotton or something. Yeah. So, because that happens. <laughs> Totally does. Do you usually provide fabric in your kids' classes or do kids bring kids those? Classes. Yes, sorry. In the kids' classes, we do. And so we do carry, actually, a lot of quilters' cotton. Because um, in the town where the studio is, there, there are no fabric stores. But we're, you know, a 10-minute train ride to New York City, which is based, you know, you have the garment district and can find anything you possibly want. But people don't want to do that. So... I have started carrying more and more of what you need for the classes. And then with the kids stuff, yeah, I mean, to be honest, like I have a whole fabric wall of beautiful quilters cottons on bolts, which is for sale for adults when they take the class. But with the kids stuff, it's usually once the bolt ends get smaller, it winds up on a hanger in a closet yeah. and then the kids get that option yeah. for, you know, whatever they're making. Cause they're, ma they're making smaller projects, obviously. Yeah. I get a lot of like donations of quilting cotton from people too. So like I'll go buy some like freshen up the stock. I'll buy like quarter meter pieces, um, like fat quarters or even like long uh, quarters. And um, those, they go so far. Like I pulled out some last Wednesday and, and my students were like, Hey, I used that last year. And I'm like, yeah, there's still some of it. Like use it up, do what you want. And yeah, it goes, it goes really far. And then people are always like, Oh, do you want my stuff? And sometimes you have to like, sift through a bunch of old like acetate lining which like I'm never going to use for anything and then <laughs> they have bins bins of lining fabric it's the worst to teach with you know oh my God, but I can't say no so I've got it and eventually I'll probably donate it to some student or something yeah you know? I don't know I guess you could theoretically use it for like like muslins or something but it's so awful to sew with and not for use I don't know Tote bags. <gasps> yeah, tote like, bags can, like pack up really small. Oh right, like a grocery shopper that you can throw in your purse or something. Someone oh, that's not a bad idea, actually. <laughs> not that class. Oh, all right. So, as far as like staying inspired to um, continue doing what you're doing, what are some of your your secret inspirations that you use to kind of? Um, I spend way too much time on Instagram like literally affecting my eyesight. <laughs> yeah. Um, but I do, I do get a lot of inspiration. Um, I, I'm trying to get better at that though. Cause I think we all sort of dive in and I don't know about you, but like, I sort of feel like when I look at Instagram, I'll almost feel like it's just one person who's making everything and is just so much better at making things than me. And then I have to remind myself that I'm looking at like a thousand people and that might have been their one project for the year and um but I'll just have this like oh everyone's doing cool stuff feeling and um and then I just like have to look at my own and be like oh yeah I'm also doing cool stuff um but yeah I don't know I I've got a lot of inspiring people in my community so there's like um thread theory designs I don't know if you know them menswear indie pattern designer um, I've heard the Seamwork podcast about them. Yes. Yeah. So, uh, Morgan, who owns that with her husband, Matt, she's one of my best friends and lives here. Um, and we became friends because someone 
told me like, oh, I met this person who designs patterns. And it was before I moved here. So I like looked her up and like internet stalked her and sent her an email. It was like, I'm moving to where you live and we're going to be friends. And then it wow. turned out really well. And <laughs> so we become really good friends. Um, so she and I do like, uh, periodic sewing nights to kind of get inspired and like, you know, maybe we'll pick the same project and we'll work our way through it. Um, I have a friend here who's a clothing designer who works with beautiful linen fabrics. I've learned so much about fabric, um, and linen from her and that's really inspiring. Um, yeah. And then like online, I'm always inspired by like grain line studios. Um, and, uh, I just brought in some of the cone denim, from the States. And, uh, so I'm going to make some, uh, ginger jeans with those soon. And yeah. And then I like to just find like stupid little one day quick projects too, which like I'll try out. And then if it works, I'll, I'll use, use the patterns for kids. So like free patterns. Mm -hmm. um, I've never used Pinterest. I've like tried a few times and just like, can't, I can't do it. I don't want to spend my life doing that. So I usually like will Google things minus Pinterest so I don't kind of end up in a rabbit hole um, and just like find cool projects like that. So okay. yeah. yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much. It was such a pleasure to talk to you and, um, and hear about your, your part of the world too. Love. That's the best part about this is just to hear where people are and what they're doing there. So I appreciate you taking the time to chat. Yeah, it's my and pleasure. Keep in touch. All yeah. right. Thanks. All right. Thank you so much. Bye. Bye.